The moon is wobbling and it's likely to drown all of humanity, which, believe it or not, is a great thing. It's a good thing because humanity is the virus and we ought to stop procreating. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future, episode 240, recording from the late night of July 14th, 2021, from the heart of the Middle East. And this show is brought to you by listeners like you. This is a value for a value podcast, which means we don't have advertisers on the show, but it's brought to you by listeners like yourself. If you get value out of the show, which I hope you do because you're listening to it and if you're not getting value out of it, well, I'm sorry to break uh, the news to you, but that means you're wasting your time. So consider supporting the show in the value that you feel like you receive, whatever that is to you. Now, thousands turn to the show every month to understand the high and lofty ideas and schemes that are being propped up against us. And your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to see the world more clearly. And that has never been more vital for you and I to do than in this hour in history. Vital for us and vital for those around us. So financial contributions from our listeners like you, that is a critical part of supporting this show and keeping this work Alive, So you can contribute today by visiting the website lucasscrobot, L-U-C-A-S-S-K-R-O-B-O-T.com, and you can give your hard, cold fiat there, or you can give by streaming on a Podcast 2.0 certified app, and you can stream Bitcoin as you listen, just like one cents, two cents for every minute, whatever you feel like. I like doing that because it helps me engage with the shows that I listen to, and I feel like I'm giving back as I'm getting value. And it's a fun way to engage with other podcasts and podcasters and support their creative work. So you can find one of these new apps to listen on at newpodcastapps.com. And you can find a player with the value tag there. Well, as I said, the moon is wobbling. Uh, and it's about to destroy all of humanity, apparently. Uh, why should we care? Why should it matter? We're all going to die at some point anyways, right? Well, it, it matters, one, because I, I do think that we should care for our planet. Duh. We live here. We should take care of it. We should care for it. But we should also, also care when our planet and the environment is being hijacked as a means to control people, as a means to instill fear into people's hearts, as a means to control populations. And as a means to further oppress third world countries with green imperialism. Now, ceding more power to the elites, all these things, we should just pause and really think through uh, the implications of some of these things that are being pushed to us. As I really do believe, we talked about this a lot, there are Trojan horses that are, that are like thoughts well, they, our thoughts are like Trojan horses, and there's thoughts that are being propped up against us that are like Trojan horses that once we take those thoughts in and we harbor them in our mind, it unleashes a virus that begins to just override all of our uh, critical thought systems, and it can just derail not only our, our whole lives, but the lives of generations, 
after us. So as I said, the the moon is wobbling, which really it isn't a new thing. It's been wobbling since the beginning of time. What does the moon wobbling have anything to do with it? Well, according to NASA, in the mid-2030s, every U.S. coast will be experiencing rapid increase of tide floods, high tide floods, when lunar cycles will amplify rising sea levels caused by climate change. A high tide flood is just that. It's a high tide flood when the, the tide is high at different parts of the month, especially when the moon and sun are aligned with each other. So full moons or new moons, there's a greater gravitational pull on the ocean, which causes the tides to be higher. But what you may not have known is that the, the moon has a, a wobble in its orbit, which takes about 18.6 years to complete. NASA says, after, in their article, after about three or four paragraphs of fear-mongering, they say, there is nothing new or dangerous about the wobble. It was first reported in 1728. What is new, that with the combined of rising sea levels of a part of, of the planet's warming, we could see drastic and catastrophic flooding in mid-2030s. goes on to say, half of the moon's 18.6-year cycle, the Earth's regular daily tides are suppressed. The high tides are lower than normal, and the low tides are higher than normal. So that's in the low half of the cycle when the moon is a little further away or its wobble is a little further away. It's actually suppressing the tide, so we don't have see as big of a fluctuation in the highs and the lows of the tides. The other half of the cycle, however, the tide is amplified. The high tides get higher and the low tides get lower. Right now, we are in a amplifying cycle in the world. They say this, however, this is a confusing sentence. I had to read it like five or six different times. They say, however, among the U.S. coastlines, sea levels have not risen much. So that even with this lunar assist, which means the, the high end of the 18.6 year cycle, high tides regularly top flooding thresholds. So what I gather from this article, at least this sentence, it's saying the sea level hasn't risen that much yet, yet. The emphasis is on that word. It hasn't risen that much yet, and even though it hasn't risen, we're already seeing that the high tides is regularly topping the flooding threshold. Now, what is, what is a flooding threshold? Well, I, I dug around on a lot of scientific sites, oceanic sites, NASA sites, and it's the the level where an alarm peaks and goes off to say, hey, this is at the equilibrium point and any more, you could begin to see seawater come through uh, sewage, sewage pipes and flood into low-lying areas of cities or be crashing onto the, on the shores and flooding over onto roadways. That's the threshold level. He goes on and says, it will be a different story next time. The cycle comes around to amplify tides again in the mid-2030s. Global sea level rise will have been at work for another decade. 
Now, the rate of global sea level rise, it varies depending on what source you read. Some sources are saying it's one millimeter per year. Some sources say that it's three millimeters per year. Other sources say it's that the readings aren't accurate and the data is being fudged, for lack of a better word. But even if they are, if the sea level is rising, which I'm fine to say that it is. I don't have a problem with that. That means in the next 10 to 20 years, it will rise approximately three to four, five centimeters. What does that mean for these global tides? How much damage will that inflict? I don't know. I, I'm not a scientist. I don't understand these things fully. But here's where, here's where I get skeptical. How about I start with this? Here's where I'm not skeptical. He he notes in this and towards the end of the article, after a ton of fear mongering of how, you know, the accumulative effect over time, we could see 15 times a month having flooding and entire cities will be just flooded along the coastlines and it'll be catastrophic. After all this fear mongering of, of people losing their jobs because they can't get work and cesspools seeping and becoming a public health issue. He gets to something I think is actually quite reasonable. He notes that the finding of the new study is a vital resource for coastal urban planners who may be focused on preparing for extreme events rather than more high tide floods. From a planning perspective, it is important to know when we will see an increase. So this is, to me, that part's reasonable. After all the fear mongering, it's like, yeah, we should probably use a little foresight and say, okay, well, if during this four to five year season, we might see a, a rise, a, an increase in tidal floods. And with the sea levels rising, even in the small increments that they are, we can say, well, that's going to have a compounding effect as the decades go by. Now, where I don't like where this whole argument often tends to lead it's where it conflates the fact that we have had climate change since the beginning of climate. I mean, ice ages, heat ages, you look back through the thousands of years of history, and we all accept that climate has been changing. And we also know that humans tend to do better during the hotter seasons of of you know, the millennials of climate change. We didn't really fare well in ice ages. And as the planet warms, we actually see more green foliage. We, we're actually seeing a, a, a greening of the earth right now. History is, is a long, is thousands of years before us. And we have only been measuring these tides, measuring these seas since the 1880s, maybe 1850. So we don't really have a very long scope on what these seas have been, what the oceans have been doing, what the global temperatures have been doing. And a, a lot of the data that we see that points to the argument of this is man-made climate change, that this is because of the Industrial Revolution, most of that data has been debunked and or they say, well, the models that you're presenting it's not measuring up with what's actually happening in real data. And we have covered this multiple times. 
The issue is, is that the solutions that are being posed to the public is, hey, the world's going to die. Everyone's going to die. Population is exploding. We need to, what? We need to limit population. We need to control population growth. We need to be able to say whether you can or cannot have another child. We need to control the way that you live your life. We need to tax you. Have a global tax. We need to set up a a new world order to control all of these catastrophes that might be coming. And probably severely limit our our life expectancy by by if, if, if we really believed and if their models were really true. What they're calling for is pretty much shutting down everything not driving a car, not having electricity, not running your AC, which would have a catastrophic loss of life. Well, you may remember just a couple weeks ago uh, in Florida, the Surfside condo collapsed. Tragic, tragic, uh, shocking. The death toll right now is 95 people dead with Dozens, I believe almost 50 or 60 people still missing. But of course, as I believe, as Eisenhower said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, the Biden administration definitely has not let this crisis go to waste. Here is Jennifer Jennifer Granholm, who is the energy secretary for the Biden administration, talking about mm, how this really could have been climate change. Do you think that climate could have played a role in that building's collapse? Well, obviously, we don't know fully, but we do know that that the seas are rising. I mean, we know that we're losing inches and inches of beaches, not just in Florida, but all around. We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that it was climate change. So clearly, this is on CNN. It's pretty much a slow, slow pitch across the plate to talk about Biden's uh, infrastructure plan. Now, if you know you're living overseas, overseas, if you're <laughs> overseas, oh my goodness, if you're if you're living like I am, in a nation that's other than America, as 95% of the world does, uh, this infrastructure plan is one of those Green New Deal plans that th- they cleverly named it infrastructure, but really it's packed full of. Tons of government spending on who knows what. So they have an agenda that they're pushing here. But of course, a building collapses, 100 plus people die. And it's, ah, this is probably climate change. We need, we need to do something about climate change. Here's another clip from the same interview with Jennifer. You know, this is a phenomenon that will continue, whether it will have to wait to see what the analysis is for this building. But the issue about resiliency and making sure we adapt to this changing climate, that's going to mean levees need to be. So in the beginning of this clip right here, it's this phenomenon. These phenomenons will continue, implying that we are going to see more buildings collapse because it is climate change. Whether we know that it was climate or change or not, we can all admit that, well, it really was climate change because after all, everything is climate change. COVID, that was climate change. Everything is climate change. 
it, it goes on. Built, that means seawalls need to be built. That means infrastructure needs to be built. We need to make sure that we invest enough in clearing out the forests so we don't have these weather events. We need to invest in hardening our transmission lines, maybe burying wires so that we can protect areas that are like tinderbox dry. There's so much investment that we need to do to protect ourselves from climate change, but also to address it and mitigate it. And hopefully these infrastructure bills, when taken together, will make a huge step and allow America to lead again. There it is. To allow America to lead again. I love that line that, you know, once we tackle climate change, not just to address issues like repairing broken telephone lines that cause wildfires, excuse me, that cause wildfires in California because they're not being repaired as they should. Yeah, we should address those things for sure. We should take care of those things. That sounds like a smart idea. But then she goes on in this clip, as as you heard, to begin to tackle climate change. And this infrastructure deal, that's going to help us help us do what? Help America lead again. This sounds really familiar to uh, a catchphrase that was used by the previous president, President Donald Trump, make America great again. But now it's make America lead again. Notice there... <laughs> The difference between these philosophies, I don't, I don't necessarily want to talk about the exact administrations, but if you think about the difference of the philosophy, the philosophy of, uh, of Trump and company was make America great again. It was let's deal with our internal problems. Let's, let's make us a great nation again because, hey, we have fallen. Hey, there are issues. Hey, we need to focus and get our stuff in order and move away from interventionism and move away from worrying about what the rest of the world is doing with their lives. We need to take care of our problems. We're not going to not help other people, but we're going to stop intervening in other people's problems. But here it's different. It's make America lead again, which implies something very different. It implies we are going to lead the world again. We are going, we're, we're back on the scene. Here we are. We are going to lead again. The government is here to help. We are here to help you figure out how to fix your life. And that is, you know, as they say, the government here is, is here to help is one of the most dangerous phrases that you could ever hear. But that's what I hear uh, coming from uh, this Biden administration's mouth. But what really did happen at the, the, the Chaplain Towers in, in Florida? Well, here's the, the actual cause, at least some of the actual causes from an investigation, and this is from uh, CNBC. In March 2016, the Condo Association Board notified residents that after years of concerns over leaking pipes in the garage, corrosion led to water leaks through the concrete onto vehicles. There is significant work to be done, they wrote. That work included replacing more than 2,200 feet of drain pipes, planter pipes, and sewer pipes. According to meeting minutes, the Condo Board approved the project November 2016. While the work went on, Hurricane Irma struck. And two months later, another notice to residents stating, as anyone who has been in the garage can attest to, there is significant water intrusion coming from the planters. The problem there, the planters were not waterproofed at all. 
So a couple of things so far in this clip, we have, it's about halfway through. They're pointing time and time again to structural issues that were not addressed for, for like 10 years. They knew about these structural issues that were never addressed. Planters that were not waterproofed at all. They threw in, they, they had a nice little throw in of a hurricane, but hurricanes have been hitting Florida since the beginning of time, probably. I don't know. Do we, do we have a record that even goes back that far? So these buildings were built knowing, hey, a hurricane is going to flow through this, this town at some point in time. We probably need to build buildings that can withstand that. And we need to continue to repair those buildings. But did they repair these buildings? Is this mother, is this global warming and climate change's fault? Or is this human's fault? Is this the fact that people didn't heed the warning signs at this building and fix them adequately? Adding to the problem, the overgrown plants from the planter had invaded the actual pipes, sometimes up to 12 feet long, filling the inside radius of the pipes. This caused cracking, and they wrote it was a very significant problem we cannot ignore. This is a problem that has been developing for many years, the notice said. A spokesperson for the condo association would not discuss these repairs or tell us who did the job. A spokesperson for Morabito Consulting tells us they were not hired by the condo before 2018. Then, they detailed years of damage to concrete, noting poor workmanship and past repairs were ineffective. There it is. Poor workmanship and past repairs were ineffective. The, the roots of plants were going down through the drainage system, breaking the drainage and causing erosion. This is, this is science 101. Water causes erosion. Is, but then the question is, and it's been thrown around a, a lot, well, is this part of climate change? Ah, see, climate change. Look, we need, to, we need to push this forward because of climate change. When really we should be saying, man, human failure. Human failure. We, we need to repair our buildings and take care of it. Oh, the, the thing, and I'm okay, if, if, if it's true that the climate really is changing it and the data that I read, it, it can go either way. I read data that totally debunks it and then I read data that's somewhat compelling to be like, okay, I guess, I guess the climate is changing, but we're not, I'm not surprised that the climate is changing. The question is, what can we do about it? If if we assume that is man-made climate change, which I do not see sufficient data pointing to the fact that is man-made climate change, and I think that climate has been changing for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, in a cycle of cooling and warming and cooling and warming, the question is, where are we in that cycle? We know that the sea levels have changed for thousands of years. Here, here where we live in the, the Middle East and the Arabian Peninsula, we know that a, a lot of this land at one point was underwater because we, can, we find fossils up in mountains. So were those mountains submerged and then they pushed up? You know, there's lots of different theories that I've heard here about how, how green most of this land was thousands of years ago. That the Sahara Desert 
was all one big lush greenery. And now it's not. So, so what exactly has happened over the last thousands and thousands of years? Well, I don't know. We don't know. We, there's, there's ways that we can go back and test that. I read this one article talking about measuring stalagmites in, in caves even here in Oman and, and other places in the world. And they're able to see year by year in stalagmites how, how using different chemicals and whatnot, how climate was changing over the centuries, thousands of years ago. Fascinating. I don't understand all of that data, all of that science, but I do know that climate alarmists, since it became a thing in the 60s and 70s, have been sounding the alarm. And we talked about this back at, at episode 216 about all the doomsday prophecies of uh, from 1970 onwards. One of them came from Peter Gunther, a North Star, North Texas State University professor who wrote in 1970, demographers agree almost unanimously on the following grim timetable. By 1975, widespread famine will begin in India. These will spread by 1990 to include all of India, Pakistan, China, Near East, Africa, and by 2000 or conceivably sooner, South and Central America will exist under famine conditions. By the year 2000, 30 years from now, the entire world, with the exception of Western Europe, North Africa, North America, and Australia, will be in famine. That's not true. People are fatter than they've ever been. There's more food today than we've ever had. The life expectancy is longer than we've ever had. People are coming up with new ways to grow food in vertical, vertical food factories with hydroponics and aquaponics. Incredible things. Why? Because there's more humans figuring stuff out. Another one of these doomsday prophecies. In January 1970, Life reported, scientists have solid experimental and theoretical evidence to support the following predictions. In a decade, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive air pollution. By 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching the earth by one half. Here's another one by Kenneth Watt. He warned about the impending ice age. In a speech, he said the world has been chilling sharply for about 20 years. He declared, if the present trends continue, the world will be about four degrees cooler in global mean temperature in 1990 and 11 degrees cooler in the year 2000. This is about twice what it would take to put us in an ice age. You know, just 50 years ago, we were hearing the exact opposite things, but still inciting fear, saying what? We need to control the population. It has always been about controlling the human population. Now, it's, as I said, it's, there's not a clear causality between man-made climate change and what percent of the, the industrial revolution has contributed to climate change. There's just not enough data on that. And if these things are merely natural cycles that happen over thousands of years, as the moon has been wobbling since the beginning of time, 
and the tides have been rising and falling since the beginning of time. I think we can figure it out. I think people are going to be smart enough to move away, you know, a little further up the hill. We're not bolted down. We're not bolted down next to this exact piece of seashore. We can move. And the alternative that they're calling for, yes, as I said, building a better city is great. Building, you know, taking care to make sure that your infrastructure is built correctly so it does withstand hurricanes and it can withstand high tides. Great. You know, Venice, Venice has been sinking for thousands of years. It's still around. They figured it out. But the... The call to action that is being given is to get rid of your car, to get rid of your clean coal power plants and exchange it for scam biofuels that they're burning in Europe where they're cutting down trees in the Philippines and Indonesia and in the Americas. They're creating pellets from these trees, shipping them in a boat. I mean, that's a carbon footprint, isn't it? Across the ocean to Europe, to the UK, and burning these biofuels and calling them zero, zero carbon footprint that has a net zero because, well, the, the tree grew, so the carbon was already in the atmosphere, but now we're going to burn it, which has more emissions and it's much worse for the environment than clean coal. And besides what happened to deforestation? I mean, this is the, the hoax, the, the scam of it all. And people say, oh, we need just we need just need to go back, go back to the good old days when we only had like one or two billion people, and you know we didn't have all the cars and these. Well, keep the phones because you know I'm addicted to the internet. But man, those good old days. Well, we can go back to the good old days. We can time travel back in time. In fact, let's go back in time right now. Let's go back to Haiti. I want to follow up on on what's been happening in Haiti. As man, this is. The the news that's coming out of there about this, the assassination of Moise, it, it's unbelievable. But you can look back in time to tie this in. You can look back in time. And I grew up, I grew up in Haiti for a, a time when I was younger. And I remember we had to watch how much water we consumed because we drank rainwater and the water was dirty. We collected from our roof into a cistern. And remember we had electricity 15 hours a day and we were in the capital of Port-au-Prince in you know a great part of town I, re- I remember that most people lived in cinder block shanties with half a tin roof you know a, a cinder block shanty that's like nine feet by nine feet 15 feet by 15 feet is how most people lived in, in abject poverty that's what the world was mostly like That was what the world was mostly like before the Industrial Revolution. Is that really what we want to go back to? Is that really what we want to go back to? I don't think it is. And I don't think that's what they want. Talk to a Haitian. They don't want that. They don't want that for their country. They don't want that for their lives. They don't want that for their children. They want to develop. Well, the update on Haiti is that uh, someone was... The, the quote-unquote mastermind was finally arrested, Christian Emmanuel Sano. 
The authorities in Haiti now say that Christian Emmanuel Sano, who's 63, a Haitian man with a long-standing ties to Florida, meaning he lived in Florida, was assuming, aiming to assume the country's presidency. National Chief Police Leon Charles announced the arrest of Christian Emmanuel Sanon, the 63-year-old doctor, during a press release on July 11th. It's believed that Dr. Sano arrived by private plane in June with political objectives and contracted a security, a private security firm to recruit the people who committed this this act, the the militants who raided the presidential palace and assassinated Moise. Charles, the, uh, the chief police Charles reported, noting that the firm was a U.S.-based Venezuela security company called CTU. He goes on to say, the initial mission was given to those assailants to protect the individual named Emmanuel Sano. But afterwards, the mission changed. Charles, the chief police, reported, told the reporters that Sanon wanted to take over the presidency but didn't elaborate beyond saying his motives were political. Sanon, in turn, con- contacted two other intellectual authors of the assassination, Charles said. The mission of these attacks attackers was initially to ensue the safety, but again, later changed when they received a warrant to attack and arrest the president of the Republic of Haiti. But this story (laughs) uh, is proved doubtful by many. It might turn out to be true, but I, I too, am seeing a lot of strange happenings in this story. Uh, The article goes on, articles, I pulled this from a few different articles, that the links to these articles are right there in the show notes. Haitians have expressed doubts about their government's claims and are wondering aloud whether presidential guards played a role in the assassination. It is unclear whether the assailants at the palace faced any resistance. That is a great point. The second great, the second point that I'm like, I don't know about this. Sanon describes himself as a physician and director of philanthropic foundation that operated in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Now, okay, there are a lot of corrupt people who call themselves, you know, philanthropic and they're physicians and they started foundations, but this is where I I get a little skeptical. In 2013, he filed bankruptcy in Florida, his records show, and said his income was $5,000 a month. What I don't get is how someone who is making $500 a month, and maybe he's making more now, who is based in Florida, who flies in to Haiti maybe just a few weeks or a month before, thinks that he can just hire a team, assassinate a president, and poof, he becomes power? He, like, there's a coup d'etat, and now I'm, I'm going to be in there? That's not how it works. You need the media and the military. You need arms of the government behind you if you're looking to have a coup d'etat and over throw the government. Well, here's a couple clips from Sanon, this video from 2011. Here's this first clip is very ironic if he indeed did uh, commit this heinous crime. Who's leader who's selling his soul, because if you already sold your soul to the enemy, 
So where else can you sell to, to sell your soul? Because to sell your soul to the enemy he has to do the worst thing. So now by having a, 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 an international country come to you and say, well, you have uranium and I want some of your uranium, it's nothing for you to sell it. And that's what happened with Haiti. And uh... So here he's talking about selling, selling his soul and making an accusation that, well, you know, Haitian politicians have sold their soul to the devil. So, of course, they're going to sell out their people, too. Of course, they're going to betray their people and they're going to go along with the globalist schemes to give them the uranium and oil and all the resources that he says are there in Haiti. Now, there, there are mixed reports on whether or not there is actually uranium. There's, I don't know which one, which way to believe, but it doesn't seem like Haiti is a mineral-rich nation, but I could be totally wrong on that. Here's another clip where he goes on about the, the stores of uranium that if he was president, he would uh, be demanding the nations to answer for. With me in power... You're going to have to tell me what are you doing with my uranium? What you're going to do with the, petro with the, with the oil that we have in the country? What you're going to do with the gold that you want to explore, you want to take away from me? The marbles that we have in the country. This is the country's resources. We don't need these people. Nine million people cannot be in poverty when we have so much resource in the country. It's impossible. The world has to stop doing what they're doing right now. We cannot take it anymore. We need a new leadership that will change the way of life. I mean, from these two clips, I just, I just, I mean, obviously they're just a, a 32, 30 second clips. I don't know this guy. It just seems a little doubtful that he would be capable of pulling this off. It seems like he might be more of a scapegoat uh, to pin this on. Now, here is Rachel Mangaloria who is a uh, film, a popular filmmaker out of Haiti, who she was talking to CTV from the Montreal News. And here's a couple clips from her, and uh, she's, she's making a lot of sense. Here is Rachel. Suddenly, coming from nowhere, we learned that there are 26. They know exact, the exact number even before they were arrested. There are 26 Colombians who killed the president. So, and like the things, the prime minister, who was not prime minister anymore because the day before he was supposed to be replaced by another one, but the ceremony was not, did not have time to happen. And everybody, it's, it's like everything was ready for something. And so we don't understand. It's like everything was ready. How did they know at the front end that there was 26 members, how do they know this before they were even arrested? And it seems oddly suspicious that the two days before, the day before, uh, a new prime minister was being appointed but hadn't been ceremoniously put in. What we're starting to understand now is that the police and the Claude Joseph, who is in charge, he has been recognized by the United Nations mission is the, that's the only instance and the first one to to recognize him and to, to, to say, like, he's legitimate, so we don't know how. And they are searching the mercenaries who killed the president. Now, this is... 
I've been looking back and forth on this because there's multiple different reports. Some say there it's the 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 leader of the Senate. Now the Senate is also defunct. It only has 20 members. I think it's like one third. It should be 60 members in their their parliament and their Senate. And the, the leader of their Senate, Joseph Lambert, he is now the acting president and the one that's recognized by the U.S. and the U.N. But there's other reports that say it's uh, Claude Joseph, who he's the one who was the old prime minister that was getting replaced, that he's now the one that's been appointed by the U.N. to be acting president. It's, it is very confusing. I, I've read clips saying and read articles saying the exact opposite things. So which one is true? I don't know. I don't know if anyone really knows there's three or four different people vying for power. It's, mm, she goes on. How come these people arrive in the bedroom of the president and no police have been killed. No That's police have question. been even injured. So how come, what happened? How come these people who came to assassinate the president succeed to get inside his bedroom where he was killed? How? And we don't know, we, we, don't, we don't understand. It's the chief of the police who should explain how did that happen, who is searching for mercenaries who killed the president. They said that they killed the president. But now we know that these Colombians, they were already in the country. So, so the first half of this clip, she's saying, how did all these guys break in and not one police officer, not one security guard was killed in this raid? That seems suspicious. And then she says, we know that the, this team of Colombians were already in the country and they were legally in the country working for the police. Here she goes on. Uh, the Colombian intelligence service are coming to investigate, so we're going to know what happened. But these people were already in the country. They were, are, they were uh, called by the government to help the government. So, and you said that they just enter to kill the president? But they were healed. You knew them because they were working with you. They were working with the police. There was an agreement a few months ago in February. We, it was announced on February 23rd that a group, it was official that Colombia will help the police to fight kidnapping. Now that, that is suspicious to me. The police brings in a group to help, to help them dealing with the 95 gains ravaging the city. And then miraculously, <laughs> this, this group of Colombians are able to enter the presidential palace without killing any guards. And th the police instantly know that, well, it's, there's 20, 26 Colombians that we're after. Well, how did you know this? Oh, because you they were already hired. They were working for you in the first place. And now conveniently, we have we also have a fall guy. That's that's what she's pointing at. Here's a she's explaining more of the situation there in Haiti and, and the normal protection around the president. So there was there was no way to go next to the National Palace for the next two last two years. Any protests, any protests could send there. When the president is going in the street, he has 12 cars with him of police. 
12 cars. At least 12 cars. How come the, 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 the killers get in the bedroom of the president and no bullet was shot and no police has been injured? That's a great question, Rachel. That's what I'm wondering, too. Well, as I say, you got to follow the money. Who stands to benefit? And uh, if, if it's a coup d'etat, uh, people who do coup d'etat are people who are already in control of the, the forces. People who do coup d'etat are people who are already in control of the forces. So how is this Christian manual, 63-year-old who flies in a couple weeks before, who is not in any political power, who's not in control of any forces, what, I mean, if that is really him, if that's his plan, then my goodness, um, it's, it's not how you become president, and that's not how you pull off a coup d'etat. And who is... Who benefit from this? We have to understand who benefit from that. So Joseph is in power now, and the day before he was not in power anymore, and now he's in power. He, he wants to be installed as a president. So Joseph was not elected. He was choose according to our constitution. The prime minister is choose by the, the president, and is supposed to be accepted by the parliament, but there is no parliament since January 2020. That's a problem. There's no, there's not even a parliament since January 2020. The whole government has fallen apart. And with the assassination of the president, there now is essentially no government. Now, we talked about this in the previous episode, episode 239, but Haiti is one of 15 countries that still have diplomatic relationships with Taiwan. And China will not have any diplomatic relationships with Haiti until Haiti ditches their diplomatic relationships with Taiwan. Now, China has been vying for their belt and road uh, growth and assimilation across the Caribbean, and they've been trying to work out business deals and belt and road deals with Haiti which this is what made me, what caught my eye about this next article. It says, Taiwan says 11 arrested at Haitian embassy. Taiwan's foreign minister says Haitian police have arrested seven armed suspects who tried to break into the embassy in Port-au-Prince. It gave no details on the subject's identities or reason for the break-in. As for whether the suspects were involved in the assassination of the president of Haiti, that will be an investigation that will need to be carried out by the Haitian police. That is odd. That is peculiar that the one of the 15 countries where, where there seems to be, there could be ties and motive for getting, uh, getting the president out because he was not favorable to China. He did not want to do business with China. He did not want a, a debt trap that he knew that it, it would bring. He was siding with Taiwan, had a relationship with Taiwan. And they recently, uh, just a month ago at the UN, China vetoed a proposal to give Haiti more funding just a month ago. And now there's just more, more shade, more shade all around. We'll, we'll, we'll try to follow this a little bit more as this story unfolds, as I think it's just 
It's fascinating to see what will actually end up happening there in Haiti. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Welcome to the part of the show where we talk about how in a post-truth society where we have exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Well, this, this one makes a whole lot of sense. An environmental charity recognized Prince Harry and Meghan Markle for their decision to have a maximum of two children. This is a new charity named Population Matters. The charity awarded the, the couple because of their quote-unquote enlightened decision to limit their family size. And with that, they received an award of 500 pounds, which is $625, I believe, $675 for, for this. At first, my thought is, what are they going to do with 500 pounds, I guess, to give to their favorite charity? <laughs> and second, it's just, it's clear why they gave it to them. It's because of the publicity that they would get if their population matters would get if they recognize Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, the the crown jewel of the elite society and, and uh, the enlightened ones on the earth today. They wrote this. It's the first year that the charity whose patrons included uh, David Attenborough gave out nine awards recognizing change champions in light of the UN's World Population Day. Yes, the UN World Population Day. Hmm, got to limit that, limit those people. A representative for Population Matters, this comes from Insider, told Insider, Harry and Markle's award, quote-unquote, recognize an unusual set of circumstances as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are, quote-unquote, a couple with such a high public profile speaking about this. Population Matters is a website, uh, on their website, discusses the decision, and they said, when probably the most famous couple in the world says that they choose to stop at two children, mind you, Harry is 38 and Megan is about 39, I believe, they helped to popularize and normalize that choice. We didn't, of course, give the successes an award for having two children, which is far from unique, but for the context in which we've done it, they've done it. We commend the Duke, the Duke and Duchess for taking this enlightened decision, for affirming that a smaller family is also a happy family. Well, this, uh, this whole story gets even greater as I poked around the, the Population Matters website. It really is all about just that, population control. How can we control the population? How can we convince people to have less kids? Because if we keep on having babies, the global footprint of a human being is so catastrophic to, to Mother Nature, which we worship, creation, which is our God, that we must do away with humanity, which is the bane of all, of all creation, really. We, we aren't the pinnacle of creation. We aren't the, the, if you believe in evolution, we're not the pinnacle of evolution. We are the virus. We have emerged as the virus. We are, we are the bottom of creation, not the top. Well, on their page, they have a join the global family. And they have a, uh, 
a card, an e-card that you can sign to take a pledge uh, of the, the manifesto that they have, which reads, join the global family. What sort of family we have is a deeply personal choice that everyone has the right to make freely. When we make it, we have also the opportunity to help protect our precious planet. Sadly, millions of people still don't have the freedom to choose. I'm guessing the freedom to choose how many kids that you want because they don't have free access to abortions. Join the growing family of people around the world who believe that hashtag choice matters, aka you should be able to have abortions. You should be able to kill your baby in the womb. And who have committed to signing a committed to planning for a small family size and empowering others to have the same freedom of choice. Sign and share our choice manifesto today. And here's what the choice manifesto reads. Point one, all relationships should be healthy and consensual. Well, okay, that's not a, a biggie. Yeah, we should have healthy and consensual relationships. Why not? Now, everything has been boiled down in this, uh, really this anti, anti-God world that everything comes down to, when it comes to sex, everything comes down to, well, was it consensual? And that is... It's true. It's, it is a truth that we need to, of course, have consensual uh, relationships because if you don't, then th- that really is equating to rape. But it's, it's boiled down to that is the only thing that matters where, there, where our, our relationships and families are about so much more than just having a consensual relationship. Next point, everyone should be free to receive modern Sexual and reproductive health care. That is code and slang for abortions. Everyone should be free to receive free abortions. Next, everyone should be free to choose if and when to have children. Again, everyone should have access to free abortion clinics. I'm, I'm sure it's more than that, but for sure, that is something that is included in the language behind this, especially when they're talking about the choice manifesto, the choice we make about having children matters for the future of all of us. There is more than one kind of family and people define theirs however they wish. Okay, well, that, that's kind of true that you can have more than one kind of family and that my family, of course, is different than your family. We're going to share different values. I'm going to have maybe more or less kids than your family. But what they're also saying is, ah, you know what? If you have two dads, if you have two moms, if you're transgendered and, you know, you want to put that on your kids, well, you are free to define that. And I would disagree. A family is a man and a woman, and they have kids together. That is the the definition of of a family, and I commend Hungary, who has has put that into law last year, defining what a family really is. It goes on, supporting the, the empowerment of women and communities that don't have the opportunity or freedom to make choices about family. Mm. Celebrating and support, supporting the choice to have a small biological family to help humanity live in harmony with nature. There it is. 
if we have a small, smaller population, if we reach population decline, then we can live in harmony with nature. It implies that more people is worse and that we can't have harmony with nature if we have 8 billion, 10 billion people living on the planet. And the last point is making informed and considered choices about whether to have children and how many children to have if I haven't already completed my family. Please help us spread the word and grow and grow the global family by sharing our choice manifesto. Please let me rewrite that for them. Please help us spread the word and shrink the global population by sharing sharing our choice manifesto. It's hashtag global small family, hashtag choice, hashtag abortion matters. It's it is a demonic, it is a demonic ideology that is that is rooted in this idea that humans are bad, that humans are a plague to the world, that that humans need to be wiped out to limit the human population. Abortion, akin to, to child sacrifice, limiting of the family, these are all anti-human ideas that are, are set up because we have begun to worship creation rather than the creator. We have created a god out of mother nature. And we fail, and, and we have equated humanity, humans, to be the, no different, to be no different than a plant or a dog or a shark or a kitten or an ape. That we are on the same plane as every other being, but really we have a spirit and we live on another plane as well, on a spiritual dimension. And in that spiritual dimension, there are powers and principalities that are fighting to destroy the very seed of humanity. And this is the, the cloak and dagger that it takes in, in today's society. Because limiting humanity will always weaken humanity. You may have heard of the network effect. Now, the network effect says, if I have a telephone, and no one else has a telephone, that telephone is no good. But the moment that you get a telephone, I'm able to talk to you. And the moment that a third person comes in, we now are able to have more connections, more conversations. And the more people that you have in a network, the more valuable that network becomes. Think of Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, any of these social platforms, they are so valuable because we are able to get on them and connect with anyone in the world, the network effect. I believe that we can do more to help the environment. We can do more to steward the environment by having more kids, by having more children, because as we have more children, we are creating eternal beings, eternal souls that have genius in them, that have the ability to cure cancer, that have the ability to create extraordinary new methods of energy creation. If we live in an infinite sum world, if we believe that we live in an infinite sum world, which we do, that we have possibilities that are yet, un that are yet foreseen, that by building out that network, 
we can grow stronger and we can solve problems better and faster. But if we decline, if we limit that network effect of humanity, then we will ultimately weaken humanity. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with our, our, a great quote uh, for a Weaver and Loom section. But if you get value out of this show, the way that you can get more value out of it is by talking and sharing this with a friend or a colleague. That is how we can build stronger culture. That was how we can build healthier relationships around us is by sharing things. Because when I when someone shares something with me, I feel more more fondness, more affection for that person because I'm like, oh, they thought of me. And then have a conversation about it. Talk about these topics with people in your community because that is how you establish and define reality. And that is the first role as a leader. The first role as a leader is to define reality. And then we can move on into leadership. So share this with a friend in order to build your walls, to build the strength of your community, to build the strength of your network brick by brick. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Today's quote is from Joseph Hall. Joseph Hall lived back in 1574 to 1656. He was an English bishop, a satirist, and a moralist. His contemporaries knew him as a devotional writer and a high-profile con controversialist. He's very controversial in the 1640s. And this is what Joseph Bishop, Bishop Joseph Hall, had to say. It is fearful to sin, more fearful to delight in sin, yet more to defend it. And this is what we're seeing across culture. We we have moved past point one and point two, and we have begun to see Across culture, more and more people defending immorality, defending the the blatant call for population control, defending eugenics, defending a redefinition of not just a redefinition of marriage, but a redefinition of family, a redefinition of healthy and normative relationships. A redefinition of all of reality. Calling what is right, wrong, and calling what is wrong, right. And that is the most fearful place to be. Because that is far from just delighting in, in your sin or in your immorality. It's, it's far from just committing a sin and, and feeling shame and regret and, and wanting to change and become a better person. It is something far worse to to celebrate it, defend it, and normalize it to a generation. Well, that is all for this episode. Thank you for being with uh, me here on the show. I appreciate it. This week, this weekend, wherever you are, go out 
and define for yourself and others around you through seeking out of truth. Because if you seek truth, you will find it. If you seek to discern what is true, you will find it. I don't pretend to know it. Don't pretend to know it, but seek it out. Because if you do that, you can uncover your purpose and you can own your future.